Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Hey, welcome to episode 202 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. And this week, our guest is E.M. Zolator. E.M. is an engineer with some very cool jobs that he does with that title and is an author and illustrator on the side here today to discuss his debut novel, Severed Legacy. This is book one of his series called Hyperborea. And uh, it's a very cool story. He's a very cool guy. We met at Planet Comic Con in Kansas City back in August, and uh, I've been really anxious to get him on the show, and now I have him here, and you're going to love this discussion. We, we had a really good time had a few laughs, and uh, it's, it's a great story. and You're going to definitely want to check out his book. Uh, before we get into that, I do want to apologize for my absence. Uh, you know, once again, I've been just kind of completely away and not even really on social media that much either uh, since my last episode. And, you know, I, I, feel, I feel like I owe it to you to explain a little bit of what I've got going on. So for some time now, I've been mentioning a sick family member um, who has been diagnosed with cancer, and I've been talking about this for many months now. And, you know, at this point, I don't really see any harm uh, letting you know who it is considering uh, recent events. So the person that I've been talking about is has been my daughter's fiancé. Uh, his name is Raul, by the way, if anybody uh, wants to pray for him. So yeah, he, he's had cancer for a couple of years now, off and on. It's been cured uh, at least once, and he was fully cleared. And uh, well, anyway, we found it this past uh, August, late August. We found out that it had come back, and it came back bad. And at that point, that's when they let him know that it was terminal, uh, that there was nothing else they could do about it. So since August, you know, we've been trying to you know help out uh, he actually went on to experimental drugs in December to see what he could uh, see what could happen you know if anything could help and unfortunately the experimental drugs didn't do anything and uh, essentially they've given him uh, four to six weeks left uh, well at that point once things got that dire uh, he and my daughter decided you know what you know life is too short to wait they they had hoped they could hold off for this summer for their wedding and uh instead in <laughs> in just over a week's time we put together a wedding and uh yeah i, I gained a son-in-law this past weekend um it was gorgeous it was beautiful i mean i, I can't imagine two more lovely people and uh, a more lovely ceremony than what was put together. Um, I, I'm incredibly thankful for all the people who donated their time, their their um, skills, uh, you know, businesses that threw things in. You know, they heard the story, they heard about what was going on, and they, you know, hey, here here's you know, just just incredible stuff that went on. And uh, you know, we put out an invite, a short notice invite to family members and friends, and. Uh, you know, came together safely. A lot of people were wearing masks. And, uh, you know, it just, I, I just can't stress how incredible it turned out. Um, and it's been very, 
yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it. it. It's just been so incredibly moving and taxing at the same time, you know, because, and, and I mean, everything that my wife and I are going through and, and his family, for that matter, everything that they're going through is nothing compared to what my daughter's been going through. Um, just getting prepared for this because, I mean, they've been planning a wedding and a funeral at the same time. And it's, I, I just, you know, she's, my daughter has a strength about her that I have greatly admired. And I want to make sure and let her know that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, now you know, uh, that is what's been going on and kind of really consolidating my life of late. Um, I know I've received a lot of messages from um, publishers and agents and people about you know, reaching out to the show, wanting to uh, connect and I haven't been responding very much at all because I just really don't have the time to sit down and write out a thoughtful, hey, I can't get with you right now. And I apologize if if you're listening to this and you're one of those who've written out to me, uh, I apologize. Uh, but I will be here soon. I, uh, because <laughs> on top of everything else, my wife and I are about to celebrate our 25th anniversary on this cruise that we set up a year ago. And uh, it's a it's a very special cruise. It's only forty eight percent capacity. It's a Christian cruise, and so it's it's married couples only. So you know, so that's a a very special thing for us that we're really looking forward to. And um, and they have a lot of um, things set up safety wise to allow us to go on the cruise. So we're we're looking forward to this. And uh, oh man, I tell you what, we've we've had to do a lot of soul searching and praying to decide if we were going to still go. Uh, given the circumstances but ultimately we realized like you know we've been planning this for a year and in spite of everything else going on the best thing for us to do is to go ahead and go on the cruise uh, but in any case it uh, looks like I'm still gonna be quite busy the next couple of weeks still so anyway uh, you know all that just to say that you know hang in there with me please um, the show is not coming to an end I'm just dealing with a lot in my personal life right now and uh, once things have settled down, I will be coming back with a vengeance <laughs> with a whole lot of author interviews and uh, things going on. I got a lot of plans still for the show and uh, a lot of big things that I'm working on for the show. So hang in there with me and uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to have a good time. I promise you that. Uh, meanwhile, my writing obviously has been suffering as well. <laughs> I think I've picked up my, I, I've opened up my writing, uh, gosh, once a week. If I'm lucky, I open it up a second time and get a few words in. But I'm hoping to get back into that here real soon as well. I, actually, I'm taking my tablet with me on our vacation, on our trip, so that way I can do some writing. I've, I've got a few open windows that that's specifically what I'm, planning to do because I, I find writing relaxing I, I enjoy it and uh, so even though I'll be on vacation I'm looking forward to it and as all of you know I do all my writing on Scribner <laughs> Segway <laughs> they are a longtime sponsor of the show and uh, wonderful wonderful people over there at Scribner hey I want to uh, invite you to listen to this advertisement on how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scribner. 
Now I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. All right, as always, thank you so much to Scrivener. I really appreciate them being a part of the show. And uh, you know, as I said, you know, they've been a part of my writing life for many years now. Hey, I also want to thank Writer's Block Coffee. Um, we are an affiliate for that company, meaning if you follow the link in the show notes or if you go to samplechapterpodcast.com and you click the link there, then it takes you right to a page where you can save 10% on your order of writer's block coffee and the show gets a little kickback a little you know a little something to help out and of course all that money goes right towards any production costs writer's block coffee features three delicious flavors uh, from the writer's block coffee signature blend the deadline dark and then my own personal favorite the whiskey barrel aged blend fantastic coffee and uh, one that you got to get over there and try it out. So I invite you to do so by clicking that link in the show notes. Uh, finally, I want to thank my friends at Pop Goes the Culture. They are home. That network is home to about half a dozen other shows, all of them pop culture related and all of them incredible. Whether you are looking for the latest in movie news, television news, uh, wrestling, comic books, uh, all kinds of stuff. There's a show for you to check out there at popcoastculture.com. So click that link in the show notes to find out more. All right. Well, hey, uh, without further ado, I already talked an awful lot at the uh, beginning of this. So if you haven't jumped forward, I really appreciate you listening. But whether you jump forward to this point or uh, you listen through, it's time to get to our interview with my guest, E.M. Zolator. And we're going to hear all about him and his book. So, let's do it. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to an exciting episode, a fantastic episode, I might say, of the Sample Chapter podcast. We are talking today with fantasy author and illustrator E.M. Zolator. Uh, Mr. Zolator uh, grew up in the Midwest. He is an engineer now working on e-cars, laser systems, hybrid e-boats, windmills, and does his writing on the side with the first conception of this book we're going to be hearing about today back in 2010. I met him uh, this past fall at the Planet Comic Con and just had a blast talking with him. He's very fun to talk to, and you all are going to love him. So join me in welcoming to the show, E.M. Zolator. Hey, thank you, Jason. I'm so glad you got on here. I'm, I'm glad we were able to work this out. I mean, it's, it's, we both have very busy schedules, and uh, I, I've been looking forward to uh, catching up with you for quite a while, man. Yeah, same here. Uh, you know, we got through those holiday, holiday breaks, and now both of our schedules are free, so I'm glad as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So uh, I guess we can start with, uh, let's go back a little bit to Planet Comic Con. Uh, this was your, was this, was this your first time? It was, yeah. This is my very first time uh, really trying to get my book out there at all. So well, big experience. Very, it was very impressive because, I mean, I come around, you know, coming down author's row and I'm looking around, you see everybody's booze and they got their signs put up and the, the, the posters behind them and everything. And I mean, you were, for someone with just your first book, you were ready, man. I mean, you got art <laughs> and handouts and a great poster up behind you everything. It looked fantastic. And the, the book looks incredible as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that comes from two places, really. One is my engineering side. I've been to a ton of conventions. And so, uh, you know, the, the like sales and people side of it, actually, um, I was surprised to find was no different than selling some of my engineering stuff at a convention. Um, you know, just I'm a little more passionate about it when I'm doing it at Comic-Con and it's my book. And then from the artist side, since I illustrate as well, I just I have an eye for what I visually like. And so I put that out there at Comic-Con. Yeah. You know, and I think that comes across, too, whenever you're passionate about something and and that's what you're putting your heart into, then people are going to see that. And it certainly worked for me when I came by and I saw your booth and it was just like, I got to talk to this guy because the, the, from the artwork to uh, just having a little chat with you, I mean, it was easy to, to tell that uh, you love what you do. I do. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, about this first book here. The It's the part of the Hyperborea series. Uh, the first book is called Severed Legacy. And uh, I understand you you did the first conception of this in 2010. So where where did your ideas begin? Yeah, that's that's right. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll take it way back and just kind of start a little bit of like my my influences and where this came from to give people a flavor of what it is. Um, I have always loved storytelling, and so like since age eight, I was writing stories on paper and trying to hand stacks of of uh, stories to family members. Uh, so I've been doing that for a long time. And so I had the idea in 2010, which is a decade ago, but that doesn't mean this book was, uh, um, you know, been grinding on it for that long. It was kind of an idea that I wrote down um, after a, a dream. And then I, I tucked it away, you know, wrote about two other book attempts at completely different things. And then, and then came back to it um, through my college years and, uh, and finally turned it into something real. But I, uh, I grew up with, you know, a, a dad who read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi to me. And so I was, you know, getting Raymond Feist and, uh, you know, really good classic uh, fantasy. I was getting some good old school sci-fi um, just from a really young age. And then I also had this weird tension uh, uh, attraction towards uh, anime and manga. And so I was, uh, I was a big fan of something called Shonen Jump back in the day, which was a anthology magazine of Japanese comics that you would get monthly. Um, and so that, those two things really um, fostered my love for storytelling. And my writing now is kind of a fusion of those two. So I, I kind of want to take the fantasy and um, that area that I love and grew up with, but I wanted to sprinkle in a little bit of my, my uh, flavor of, of manga and Japanese comics. And so it's, it's not strong, but there's a, there's a subtle difference there. And you'll notice a little bit of different types of storytelling uh, in, in my stories, I think. And it, that's where it comes from. Okay. Yeah. And now 
And you said that uh, Severed Legacy, this was a, an idea you had or as a dream that you had, and you kind of worked on a little bit, tucked it away. You worked on some other things, wrote, actually wrote some other things here and there, but this mm -hmm. was the one that kept calling you back. Uh, why do you think that is? Exactly. Uh, you know, one reason is because I don't dream. So um, <laughs> like uh, probably, I mean, a handful, count on, count on my hands, the number of dreams I actually have remembered in my life. So having a dream is a, a unique enough experience for me. And uh, especially one that I thought, hey, this would be a cool story. Um, you know, th that was the only dream I've ever had that I'm like, that, that would be a good story. So uh, it kept calling me back. And um, it, it's funny enough, though, it, it, as I developed the story, it's almost completely unrecognizable from that dream that I originally had. But that's the way it goes. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a couple of those that are tucked away in notebooks here in my drawer that dreams that I, I i had to write it down and i had no idea what i still don't know what some of these are but uh it's like yeah i gotta tuck them away and then uh, one of those did come out later on as a book and i was like oh man this is it, it's just amazing how different it'll go but uh to have that spark exactly something that you dream to have that to hang on to and when especially when they won't let go it's mm -hmm. like hey i'm right here you need to write me so it's just, it's yeah, they, they speak to you. The, the stories speak to you a little bit, just as much as you work on them. Absolutely. I, I agree. I believe in that completely. And I think my wife finally is, has come around to understanding that I'm not crazy when I sit there and I'm laughing at my own, my own stuff. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. This character just said a joke. And it's like, the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, yep. Uh, so it took her a little while. She was just like, but you wrote that. I was like, yeah, but it wasn't really me though. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting into some uh, Carl Jung philosophy there. Of the, the, they're, they're like ideas sprouting up within you that are completely autonomous. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, give us a little bit of uh, a little bit of the story and background for the Hyperborea series. Yeah, let me just, I'll read you the blurb here, but it basically it's a, uh, a fantasy adventure series um, and it follows two siblings. So here's, uh, here's what's on the back cover. You will never find your way. You are lost. Such are the hauntings of Eos Bellator, trapped in the North American sector desert by a never-ending sandstorm. The government forces the orphan siblings, Eos and Maxima, to harvest their soul energy, providing power for the sector. Beyond the sands lies a tattered world being vied for by many forces, yet the biggest threat to Eos is not having control over his emotion-driven abilities. When fear overwhelms him, disaster strikes, and the siblings are separated. They learn that they are not alone. The Mitad, an off-world organization of similarly super-powered members, is attempting to capture them. The government has them cornered. A crazed prisoner seems to hold the answers. So begins the journey of high-powered, dangerous adventure. Eos and Maximus' search for freedom and the truth about their past leads them to pursue a mysterious world they never knew existed, Hyperborea. Oh, man, that's awesome. And I, I love the blending of the, the fantasy and sci-fi, uh, kind, of kind of a Star Wars thing. Uh, a little of. bit, yeah, a little bit. There's very, I would say very light on the sci-fi, but there are, there are hints there. It's funny, um, you know, when I'm, I'm writing, I write very heavy on the fantasy side, but my favorite books are actually sci-fi. So 
that's where some of that influence comes from. You know, Neuromancer and Dune are probably two of my favorite books. And so mm. there's definitely, there's definitely undertones of that. Yeah. And I, I always like that too, because it's, yeah, like Dune is, is certainly sci-fi, but there's also a lot of fantasy within mm-hmm. that, a lot of uh, the, that world's mythos of uh, what's going on and, and abilities for that matter that uh, they can do true yeah kind of supernatural or, or fantasy based and it's it's really interesting i always like whenever you can kind of blend it that way mm-hmm. so what uh, what do you think uh was your strongest influence behind this oh my strongest influence you know actually i kind of wanted to I would say for this one specifically, um, it was it was more on the manga side. I wanted to take um, some of my favorite series there, which um, for listeners who know, like Full Metal Alchemist is one of my all-time favorite uh, stories, period. Um, so take uh, things like that and uh, merge them with kind of expose that type of story to uh, fantasy and sci-fi fiction readers. And so... Um, it's definitely not as heavy as a actual manga series would be on that type, but I, I blended it in there. So that'd be my, my biggest influence. Um, and then, you know, it also came, I, I didn't target this at necessarily uh, an older audience. I kind of wanted it m- more broad. So a lot of my uh, younger influences came through just, just all those really good, um, you know, fantasy. And I hate to be cliche, but the Harry Potter type of stories that I grew up with. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and and that you know, it's it's hard to say that uh, even though something in later in time like Harry Potter, it sometimes as we we kind of grow out of it and it gets a little like, oh, that was so then. But you know, if we're all honest, we still love the stuff that we that we loved then. There's still a soft spot, and I think it does inform some of our writing. I mean, I'm certainly influenced heavily by the old 80s action movies i watched growing up and mm-hmm. and it, it certainly is influencing even, I mean, even my own current series i'm writing it's 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 all about that yeah well actually yeah. here i can i can, I can descri- describe my influence best I, I think i just got it so it was i want to take a uh, a manga type of story mm-hmm. write it for audiences who read harry potter but have grown up okay. and then do it from the perspective as if Chris Nolan was directing it. <laughs> That's kind of how I thought about it. <laughs> nice. I like it. All uh, right. That works. There you go. That works. Yeah. That's ready for the big screen right now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> One can hope. Yeah, that's that's the dream. So, but yeah. that's that's cool, man. You got some great illustrations throughout. The the covers incredible and then each chapter has its own illustration as well. And, and you do all of these yourself. Yeah, I, I will say the cover was done um, by an artist friend of mine from Brazil. Uh, but I do all 30 illustrations on the inside. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I can totally see the, the manga influence on that cover mm-hmm. and uh, what, of what you were going for. But uh, yeah, all these internal, the, uh, the chapter renderings and everything that you did, it's some fantastic stuff. And you're doing it all over again for the uh, the sequel that's coming soon. Yeah, and actually, um, I've I don't know if it impressed myself or just look back at your prior work and shake your head a little bit. But my uh, my art on the second book is is leaps and bounds above even what's in this one. So I'm really excited to put it out there and, and show it to everyone. Um, I'm 
about 90% of the way through editing book two. So it is about ready to go out there. And uh, really the big uh, holdback on that is the art. Um, I've got 30 illustrations to do for book two and I've got just a handful left. Oh my gosh. And it looks like, I mean, you did 30 on the first book. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> quite, quite the art portfolio I'm putting together alongside of uh, my writing portfolio. Uh, and I should say the, the cover is done as well. So um, I will be probably doing a cover re reveal at the end of January or early February and have a release date for book two with that. Fantastic. Oh man. Yeah. I love it. That'll be, that'll be great. And, uh, <clears throat> that'll be it. You have to make sure to uh, let us know when that's available. So we can help promote that for you as well. I'd love that. Thank you. Yeah. So how, uh, what do you have in mind for Hyperborea? Is it uh, like, so you got like a number of books in mind or are you just going to kind of uh, write it out? And, and I do. I do have a, um, you know, it's, it's classic author answer. I have uh, an ending in mind. I have a very certain plot points I want to get through and character arcs that I want to get through. I would guess that it would be a five book series. Maybe I can wrap it up in, in four, but um, probably five is where it would be in total. And um, yeah, but I, I do know where I'm going with it. And I kind of have my own Wikipedia that I'm, I'm creating along the way. So I don't get lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yes. Because I, I did not, and I did get lost uh, <laughs> a, a year ago. I thought I was about halfway through book two already, and then realized, oh, I'm I'm writing half of book two and half of book three. So I, had to, <laughs> I had to start over again. <laughs> yeah, I had some uh, I had some scenes that have been in my head writing book one that I I couldn't wait to do, and so I I kind of flushed them out a little bit, and then I realized, nope, those are book three scenes. <laughs> so did the same thing. <laughs> yep. And this is, uh, you got uh, book two's coming out pretty quick. The first one took you a few years uh, to get it coming out. It came out in 19. And then this one's early 22 that uh, book two will be coming out, potentially early 22. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it looks like the uh, the writing process is speeding up for you a little bit as well. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, you know, and I wrote the first one kind of over my wrote it and then illustrated it over my college years so uh it, not only was it hard to find time but the process was very broken up by by that now that i'm you know out of college and have been working for a while now i have a much more stable routine and i can kind of really practice on fine-tuning that process mm -hmm. yeah what what do you how do you think that's going to be having that second book because uh, I, I know for me getting the second book out was a lot of affirmation that okay i am an author <laughs> mm -hmm. there was that that first book was great that was the, a good one but getting the second one out there that was a good affirmation and uh, i, I hope i'm hoping you are starting to have that same feeling i uh, yeah i am absolutely i um i think once you get that second one out there you you feel much more like a, a legitimate author and probably comes off that way too and you have multiple books at something like a comic con or uh you know a show like that so i'm really excited for it and it's seeing two of them on a shelf together is definitely going to be motivation to to push me through these books as well as some of the other projects that i have in mind yeah now i was going to ask you about that some of your other projects uh, anything that you can talk about or is it, are they related to hyperborea or are they completely new 
No, completely new. Um, so I, again, my goal will be to kind of push through Hyperborea as quickly as, you know, without getting too distracted just for the sake of people who are reading it. Sure. Um, but I do have a, an entire another series in another world that um, I have in mind. And uh, I, I will say similar type of genre. Um, and then I also really have a strong desire to uh, do some children's books. I, I, I just have this idea in my head that by the time I have kids, I'd like them to grow up reading a few books that I created and that teaches them some lessons that I wanted to you know, teach them. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Okay. And since I do the illustration side of it, you know, that's right up my alley. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that'll be great. I mean, you can almost make like uh, picture books uh, for whatever grade level that uh, you want to try and do. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know if I want to do like true, like learning, to, like just barely Dr. Seuss type of books, or if I want to do some magic treehouse, you know, level books, but I'll figure it out when I get to that point. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, man. And uh, I understand that uh, you're also jumping into the audio uh, with uh, with Hyperborea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have completely finished uh, recording all the audio with a an amazing narrator um, from Britain, actually. He's he's really good. Um, and we've we've kind of collaborated and gone back and forth a few times. And he, um, yeah, he finished that and really getting, we, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. So getting those files to be in a format acceptable by Audible is, is the, the only holdup, but we only have like one file left. So I should probably be releasing that audiobook um, next month, I think. Oh, fantastic, man. So you'll have the audiobook and, uh, and potentially the pre-order up and ready for book two around the same time. Exactly. That's actually, that's kind of my, uh, my plan is to send out a newsletter to everybody on my list and, and say, Hey, audiobook is out and the pre-order for book two. If you, you know, if, if you're ready for book two, it's coming. And if you haven't read book one yet, you can listen to it. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, well, where can people find and follow you and uh, get this newsletter? Yeah, they can uh, go to my website. It's hyperboreabooks.com. So just the name of the series with books at the end. Um, and they can give their email there if they want to be part of the newsletter, or they can follow me on Instagram also at hyperboreabooks. Um, those are, you know, I'd say Instagram is where I post all of my updates and then newsletter will be all my, my really big major updates. So um, on Instagram, I'm I'm putting out, you know, like my art as I'm working on it and, and things like that. So if you want to see my art as I progress, then you can follow me there. Outstanding. Yeah. And of course, everybody, you know, we're going to have links for that in the show notes. So whenever you get done listening to this today, just click down below and hop right on over to uh, hyperborea.com and uh, check everything out and sign up for that newsletter and, and follow uh, Mr. Zolator. Yeah, thank you. Hey, uh, man, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad we got to catch up and uh, I look forward to uh, running into you again here in uh, Comic-Con in a couple months. Yeah, same. I look forward to seeing you at Comic-Con. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, time for me to step aside with my cup of writer's block coffee and <laughs> uh, sit back and listen to our sample chapter from our guest, E.M. Zolator with Severed Legacy. Hyperborea. Severed Legacy. Chapter 1. Against the Infinite Storm. The never-ending sandstorm that plagued the western desert of the North American sector loomed in the distance. 
vibrating sand churned in plumes that rose to the clouds. It was likely a few days away from hitting them if it moved in their direction. No one could ever say which way or how fast the permanent storm would roam, but it was closer than usual. Eos and his sister Maxima were walking towards the sandstorm to explore the North Dunes, an area where they could sometimes find relics of the old society. Eos explored it as often as he could. It was the most adventure the desert-confined siblings could get, and Maxima often went with her older brother to ensure he didn't venture off too far. Staccato of thunder within the storm masked the roar of sand being hurled to the sky. Her, kadoom, her. The wall of dark gray-brown blocked out the sun and flashed with an ominous orange each time lightning struck inside. Eos raised an arm covered in thin beige fabric and pointed to the northwest. I've never seen those before, he motioned to the metallic structures peering from the dunes two miles away. The storm must have covered them. Let's go check it out. Maxima pulled the top of her desert shawl from around her neck and tucked it under her chin, holding it between her lips as she thought. The fabric hit a scar where her lips had once been split. It was a raised white line that separated her lower lip into two distinct colored sections. We'll be cutting it close getting back. We're already seven miles from the complex. We have work tonight. Well, let's be fast in getting there then, Yos said and quickened his pace. It rained hard for the first time in months the night before. The 100-degree heat and beating sun had made short work of drying up the sand. Maxima sighed with exasperation and brushed her long raven black hair from her face as she took quick, careful steps to keep up with her brother. You didn't listen, she said. I did listen. I'm still considering what you said. He smiled playfully at Maxima and stomped forward. I imagine I'll have made up my mind on what to do about it by the time we reach those jets. He referred to the man-made structures, old-world buildings that peeked out briefly from drowning in the desert. The winds had to favor moving a dune the right way, and even then, they could be covered again in a matter of days. Maxima rolled her eyes, but smirked from under her shawl at her brother's uncontrollable desire to explore. They were near enough that she could make out enormous silos now. Coned roofs topped three tilted and off-kilter 50-meter-wide cylinders. Two remained mostly buried in sand, but the one nearest them was covered. The roof of it was deteriorating and full of missing sections. Wow. Eos let out excitedly as he saw the scale of the silos. A movement of black in the shadows of the silo ahead caught Maxima's eye. Eos, something moved out there, she cautioned. We should go back. I don't see anything, Eos squinted through the blowing sand that was beginning to kick up. We're already here, come on, he gestured for her to follow. Maxima looked again in the shadows of the silo but saw nothing. The tilted metal structure had a spiral of stairs around one half and a caged ladder that went up the other. The siblings climbed the metal stairs, but Maxima kept looking down where she had seen something move. She bit down on her shawl harder. When they reached the top, they saw that sections of the balcony were missing, preventing them from walking around the full circumference. Large gaps of the roof's metal sheets were rusted away, leaving the sand-filled cavity inside partially exposed. Eos and Maxima sat at the edge of the railing, staring into the infinite sandstorm, mesmerized. It kept a distance that was threatening, but not yet dangerous. There was only the hurr of the storm and crackle boom of thunder. Eos pulled out a silver coin from his pocket and held it up. Black, like the ink of a tattoo, covered his right arm. It darkened his entire hand and crawled up his forearm in wild crashing waves that branched from one another. This strange mark had always been with him, and on occasion, it caused a restless urge to reach for answers beyond his grasp. He turned the coin over, holding the tiny piece of metal before the never-ending wall of the sand. 
An ancient language circled the face of a man on one side. The other showed a soaring bird whose wings streaked across the edge of the coin as if flying at incredible speed. Maxima, you know my book about old coins? She nodded. It was a rare reward from their employer, General Braxton, for their tireless work, though it was more a concession to Eos's constant request than a gift. The first one or the new one? She asked. Eos continued, the new one. I finished it last night. Dad's coin wasn't in it. Nothing. There are more books out there. There has to be a book that will tell you what it is. I don't remember, but I can feel like a half memory. I know dad gave this to me. I just need to find where it's from. Next year, you'll have to ask for another book about old coins. Eos gritted his teeth. No, that'll take too long. At this rate, I may never learn what I want to. This, he spun the coin against the backdrop of the sandstorm. It's the key to knowing who they are and what they are, if they still are. He admitted the last part with sadness in his voice. I have to do something else. We can't just keep using our powers every night like slaves. We have to do something drastic and soon or we'll be stuck like this forever. And then we'll never know why we have abilities that no one else in the world does. Maxima shook her head. How about instead of soon and drastic, we do something planned and smart? Fine, let's plan something smart very soon and make it drastic, Eo shot back. Clink, clink, clunk. Something was climbing up the stairs. Maxima looked over the railing and scanned for the source of the noise. A bearded man covered in dirt and sweat was making his way up. Maxima glared at Eos. I told you I saw something move. Eos looked around frantically, already planning for an escape route if needed. The railed balcony was missing a section that would allow them to get to the ladder on the other side. The approaching stranger had them trapped. Then Eos and Maxima found themselves looking through the missing section of the roof to the daylight on the other end. The sand-filled silo was still pooled with water from the rain the day before. A grim voice growled from halfway up the stairs. It was less than friendly. What are you doing up there? Stay right where you are. Maxima's face went white. Eos pointed at the light coming through the opposite hole in the roof and urged her towards the only alternate route. Go through to the ladder. I'll distract him so you can get to the other side. Eos could feel his heart beating all the way down in his feet. They were supposed to be alone this far out in the desert. So who? A graying, bearded man wrapped in dark, loose-fitting desert clothes climbed up the last stair. He had binoculars around his neck and a canteen at his waist. His bloodshot eyes met Eos's and Maxima disappeared inside the silo. I said, wait, the man sprinted at Eos, seeing Maxima was going inside. Eos stepped between the man and the opening in the roof. Who are you? Girl, get back here, the man called into the sand-filled cavity. Eos turned and marched toward the opening. He threw himself in front of it and glared, clenching his father's coin. Don't be stupid, boy, you... The man stopped and noticed the shine of silver in Eos's hand. He grinned a dirty, rotted smile. That's a nice piece of silver. Why don't you let me see it? He shot out towards Eos's hand, but Eos wrenched his arm back into the silo out of reach. The man's sweaty fist wrapped around Eos's shirt and he yanked him toward it, still reaching for the silver. Eos shoved him away, but the man did not lose his hold. Thud. The man slammed Eos against the roof, his weight bowing the thin metal, the edge of the opening cutting into Eos's back. The man snarled at him, but the strange look, a strange look crossed his face as if realizing something. Where'd you get that coin? Ugh, Eos grunted, struggling as the roof cut into his back. It's mine. Back off. The man's eyes went wild. His pupils bounced as if processing. I highly doubt that.
the sour stench of, of the unbathed man pressed against him, curled Eos's nostrils. The man slammed Eos against the metal again. That's a, uh, he squinted, hyperborea coin you got there. Ain't no way that belongs to you. Best let me take it off your hands. The man reached so that his body leaned into the silo with Eos's arm. The cloth around his chest stretched and pulled down, revealing a tattoo near his clavicle of two snakeheads. In the scuffle, Eos couldn't quite make out what it was. For a moment, he thought the man was serious. It was a strange word he had never heard before, hyperborea. It only took him a second's thought to realize the man was spouting gibberish to try and steal precious metal. He was a desert wanderer who saw the opportunity to steal something of value. He probably saw his next meal in Eos's hand, but Eos wanted to believe for a split second that the made-up word meant something. Ah, get off me, you rotten-house thief! Eos provoked the man as pain cut into his back, and it was getting worse. They both rolled and teetered dangerously close to falling in. Eos, Maximus' cry broke his concentration from the struggle. The sand's wet. I can't get my feet out, she said with panic. Hold on, Maxima, I'm coming. Ah. Eos grimaced as he fought. The man's fingers now struggling to pry open Eos's. He was bigger, stronger, and winning. Eos wouldn't be able to keep hold of his dad's silver piece much longer. Maxima's voice echoed from inside again. My ankles are under. I'm sinking. There's nothing I can reach. The urgency in his sister's voice gave him power to yank away with all his might. Eos rolled off the roof so that the man had his back to the opening now, but still had hold of Eos's fingers. Stop struggling, kid. The man lurched for Eos again, but this time, Eos reached out at instinct. There was a crimson glow that came from his blackened right hand. A neon vapor escaped from his fingertips until a small, pea-sized sphere of red energy burst to life in his open hand. This was the power that he and his sister alone possessed. It was a power beyond human ability. Without thinking, without hesitation, Eos thrust the churning red sphere into the man's chest. There was a crackling explosion where the energy met the man and the man went flying backwards. He was torn back into the silo, but his grip on Eos's hand had been firm. The man screamed out and pulled Eos in with him. The grip broke, but not before raking Eos's fingers open. The man flew violently inside. The silver coin, highlighted by fading red light, spun high in the air and fell somewhere in the silo. Eos was left on his stomach, halfway fallen inside the cavern. There was a heave in his belly at the thought of losing the coin. He scanned desperately for any sign of it. There, he saw the light hitting the round edge that stuck partially in the sand 10 feet away. He pulled himself further in with a singular thought. He must get back his father's coin. His hands squished into the coarse wet sand until his feet were barely hanging onto the balcony outside. He reached until he thought his shoulder would come out of its socket. He had to get the coin. His arm plunged deeper into the sand trap. Still, he stretched, willing his arm to be longer. It was no use. He couldn't reach, and his supporting wrist was submerged. But he couldn't will himself to stop. Eos, Maxima cried. My waist. It's up to my waist. Eos looked between the gleam of silver, almost entirely under sand, and the silhouette of his sister's upper body on the other end. He shrieked internally and pounded his fist as he resolved to give up on the coin. Maxima, I'm coming to get you out. Eos's mind shifted to the task of saving his sister.
Nicholas E. M. Zolotor reading a sample chapter from his debut novel, Severed Legacy. That is book one of the Hyperborea series. Uh, don't forget the sequel is coming out real soon, and you need to follow him because the cover reveal is about to drop. So make sure you click that link in the show notes for E.M. Zolotor, uh, his website, and uh, his book. While you're down there, don't forget to click the links for our sponsors, affiliates, and podcast friends and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out when i'm back with an all-new author a new book and a brand new sample chapter take care everyone we'll talk to you again real real soon i promise